We've been in a series called Hot Topics, and we've been talking about developing a biblical worldview. Now, I don't want this to sound calloused at all, but just because you've experienced something in your life does not mean that your experience should dictate how you view the world. I need you to think about that for just a moment. Just because someone hurts you doesn't mean everyone will hurt you. Are you with me? Okay. Just because something bad happened in Kansas doesn't mean that you'll never go back to Kansas to visit. Okay. Like we can't, we cannot go and live, as Amy said during worship today, we can't live according to our feelings and we sure can't live according to just our experiences. So as we've been talking about strengthening and developing a biblical worldview, we've got to do a couple things. We've got to set aside, I've encouraged you every week in this message series, set aside man-made traditions, set aside our culture, the recent movies that you've watched or that the kids are talking about, the music, all those things. We've got to set aside our customs The things that we're accustomed to here in America may be very different from places in Europe or South America and other places. We've got to set aside those things and the education that we've been fed, and we've got to root ourselves in nothing but the Word of God. Someone, um, I put a controversial post on Facebook a couple weeks ago, and someone commented and said, well, you're just trying to tell people to think like you're thinking. No, I'm trying to tell people what the Bible says about something so that they can then think how the Bible says to think. Amen. So today I want to preface my statements by making sure that you understand where we're headed. And here's the thing. It's not impossible to get rid of your man-made tradition, your custom, your culture, and to just root yourself in God's word. It's essential. Amen. 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 I'm thankful for this front row this morning. Hallelujah. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 6. Go with me there. I want to read to you this morning from verse 10. Paul the apostle writing to the church at Ephesus. He says this. Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers and against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Can I stop here for a second and tell you, the school boards that you hear about on the news are not your enemy. There is a real supernatural force at work against the kingdom of God, against the values that we espouse in the Bible. And we need to understand our wrestling, our focus should not be and understood to be against flesh and blood, but against a spiritual enemy. Verse 13 says this, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand firm. Make no mistake, speaking the truth in a culture of lies is an act of spiritual warfare. Do you understand me? It is actually you making a defiant stand against the enemy and his works. 
We've got to remember that we are engaged in a spiritual battle. I think there have been calls in every generation, but surely in the last few, by men and women of God for the church of Jesus Christ to wake up and to shake off all of our complacency and to realize there's a real enemy and there's real work to be done. And it's not picking out the best shirt on Sunday to show up here. The real work to be done happens every day in your life in the context that you live in. So I want to give you a dose of truth today for this biblical worldview directly from God's word. Here's the truth. There are only two genders. Every species created by God has two genders. It is the only way that animals and humans can procreate naturally. Listen to me. I want to give you a little biology and science lesson. Lions have a male and a female and they make babies. Bears do. Roaches, I don't, they've got some weird supernatural power because like millions of them show up overnight. But roaches reproduce this way. Honeybees, dogs, cats, even humankind all reproduce because of a partnership between male and female. God made it in such a way that the partnership is required of opposites in order that new life would begin. And that is amazing. The same is true of us as humans. And while we're on the subject, men are not and cannot be women. Women are not and cannot be men. This is important for us to understand and to realize. You may mutilate the body, but the person remains the same. And that person, just like you and I, are in need of a savior. You can take mind-altering drugs, but there is no cure for your mental illness outside of the cross of Jesus Christ. This is important because we want to live as believers in a world filled with broken people and have compassion and not be uppity and not be preachy and shove stuff down people's throat. But you've got to know the foundation that you stand on. And it's not a shaky one. Your legs might be shaky, but that's not the foundation's fault. Amen? If you were born a male, you are a male. If you were born a female, you are a female. Your biological gender and sex cannot be chosen by you. It was chosen by God. This should not be earth shattering. It should not be controversial. But we live in a world that has slipped very rapidly into a complete moral decline over these last few generations. And it's something that we've got to talk about. In fact, as we talk about your gender being chosen by God, you've got to understand that your feelings are not facts. They are real, but they have got to be brought under the subjection of Jesus Christ. You say, well, pastor, are you expecting the world to live like the church? No. <laughs> In fact, <clears throat> I'm expecting the church to live better than they're currently living. 
I think Jesus is too, because the word of God says he's coming back for a bride that is without spot or without wrinkle. Every Sunday on my one mile drive to church, I unbutton the bottom button of my shirt so as to not get too many wrinkles. Okay, I don't like wrinkles, just like you don't like wrinkles. Well, uh, hopefully you don't like wrinkles. It doesn't matter if you're in your PJs, but when you come to church, you want to make sure you don't. Jesus wants a bride that doesn't have a wine stain on her dress, that is beautiful to behold, that has no spots or wrinkles or any of those things. We've got to live according to God's truth and not according to our feelings or our experience. The word of God is factual and it's still true today. He created the male and female and he continues to do so today. And the good news is this. There is a cure for the sin sick world that you live in. There is a cure and his name is Jesus The good news of Jesus Christ still has soul-saving power. It still has the ability to transform even the sickest of sinners. We use the example of those who have committed heinous crimes in their past, coming to faith in Jesus Christ and being forgiven, and to use that old terminology, washed by the blood of the Lamb. It's a weird statement to make, but once you realize the significance that the blood of Jesus Christ has never lost its power and it still works today, then you will, you'll have something to rejoice, something to speak about and share. While we're on the topic, no marriage is valid before God except for the marriage between a man and a woman. One man. And one woman, not multiples of either, not both of something, but one man and one woman. I'm just going to keep spitting truth this morning and you keep amening, okay? People who indulge in one night stands or have live-in boyfriends or girlfriends are living in the sin of fornication and living in disobedience to God. This has got to stop. It happens even in the church. You say, well, pastor, surely no, it doesn't. Yes, it does. People make mistakes. Sometimes they're innocent, but then they go down a path they should not have gone down. God is there with forgiveness offered to those who repent. You say, well, pastor, why are you making these sins a big deal? I'm not. God does. Yes, there's a sin of anger and you can talk about gluttony and we can talk about all these other things. But as we're developing a biblical worldview, just chronologically designed by God's spirit, I believe, we talked about the sanctity of human life. And now today we talk about the importance of what the family unit and marriage is all about. People are short circuiting God's plan and they're living They're living in the consequences of it. People living in same-sex relationships are living in disobedience to God. People who commit adultery are living in disobedience to God. Our world needs a savior, amen? Our children and our grandchildren need a savior. 
And I'm here today to tell you his name is Jesus. Amen? He still saves. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. He died a gruesome death on a cross for me after having lived a sinless life and rose from the dead three days later. He now lives in heaven and he didn't leave me alone or you alone. He said, when I go, it's that the Holy Spirit would come so that he would be your comfort and your guide. He'll lead you into all truth. Amen. And he will protect you and keep you. God's always wanted his presence with you. From the days of the garden, he's always wanted his presence with his creation. Jesus Christ is the most influential figure in human history. Even time is divided by his arrival. He's the only one who's qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. Buddha, Hare Krishna, all of these other religions, the whole thought of new age, of seeking within yourself the answer, all of that is hogwash. It's baloney. There's only one savior, one way to heaven. He still forgives sinners and he still sets captives free. There's hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And demons still flee when when Jesus' name is spoken in faith and with authority. Amen? And God has a family. You've got to get this. God has a family. (laughs) He created us in his image so that we could be part of his family. When we divorced him... He sought this entire time to reconcile us and to bring us back together. And there's only one way to have done that. And he completed that task through the gift of his son. And when he did that, all who come to his family are called his body or his bride. And the Bible tells me good news even about the state of the church. It says this, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You could take that for whatever you think it is, but I'll tell you what I think it is. That means the gates of this culture around us currently may push and pressurize the situation, but they will not prevail over the true authentic body of Christ. We've got to see this for what it truly is. I believe with all of my heart that sometimes we do talk poorly about the state of the church because it's in a poor state. But I believe with all of my heart that there are still sectors of the kingdom of God and the church of Jesus Christ that are advancing by force. Amen. And this is why, this is why it's important, so vitally important for us to truly, correctly understand what we believe on these important matters. Because 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 3 and 4 says this, A time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. It's here. It was there. (laughs) It was there 2,000 years ago in the early days of the church. It's still here today. And it's increasing. There's a time that is now present when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own 
passions. The Bible says in verse 4, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. They'll shut themselves off from the truth of the word of God. How do they, how do they get that influence? How are they influenced to do such a thing? except for the pressure of a culture around them, their own feelings about themselves or others, and their experiences. So don't be that guy. (laughs) Don't be that girl. Live according to God's truth. Amen? The title of my message today is God's Design for Humanity. It should be noted at the outset that there is absolutely... You need to understand this. We're talking about sound doctrine. And if you're not familiar with that Bible term, that means firm doctrine that's proven. It is biblical truth based on the eternal principles we find in God's word. It should be noted that within the Bible, there is no affirmation of homosexual activity of same-sex marriage, or of changes to your sexual identity found anywhere in Scripture. You say, well, pastor, that's just because it's pre-modern, because they must not have had those problems back then, and we have them now today. That's not true. Male and female genders are carefully defined in Scripture, and they are unconfused. God is unconfused in His design. You can't improve upon it. (laughs) All you can do is make it worse. That was better than I thought it was. (laughs) All you can do is break it. His design is perfect. Just talk to a science teacher. You'll find out. His design is perfect. The consistent ideal in scripture for sexual experience in the Bible is chastity for those outside of a monogamous heterosexual marriage and fidelity for those inside of one. So it's a no to everything outside of a marriage and it's a yes to only your partner within your marriage. That is true, biblically speaking, Page after page, you can look all the way back. In fact, I'm going to read to you at the end of this message, Jesus teaching in Matthew chapter 19, where he quotes from Genesis and says, this was by God's design. There's also abundant evidence in scripture that homosexual behavior along with, listen to me, illicit heterosexual behavior is immoral, it's sinful, and it always comes under the judgment of God. Here's truth number one. God designed humans for relationship with himself. I want to give you three different things that I see as I look through the the biblical storyline and I look at the Bible for these truths. I see it in the garden. The first place that I see that God designed us for relationship with himself is in the garden. In fact, you can read in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8, it says this, And they, being Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife say, wait a second, when did they get married? When God put them together. 
They may not have had a wedding party. They didn't have a big, you know, dinner after a reception and all that. But the Bible calls Adam the husband and Eve the wife. It says they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. How interesting they didn't find a rock to go hide behind. How interesting that the issue of their sin involved the fruit of a tree and yet they are hiding in a forest of them. I want to tell you something that I notice in this. They didn't hide because they were surprised that God showed up. It doesn't say that. In fact, I believe it was an expected visitation. This was a daily occurrence in their life, a regular thing. Humans were created to experience relationship and time in the presence of their creator. Amen? And so sometimes when we get off the wagon, we fall off the horse or off the wagon, as you might say, in our devotional life, we might think it's not that big of a deal, but it really is because God has designed you to have a regular, healthy, thriving, growing relationship with himself. And when you miss your appointment, you miss out on your checkup. You miss out on your time with him. That's not for me to just give you a dose of guilt today. It's for me to encourage you. Stand strong. Keep up. Amen? God designed you for relationship with himself. It's clear in the garden. The second place I find that it's clear is really, truly, when he chose Abraham, but when he chose the Israelites. Look at what Deuteronomy chapter 7 says. The Israelites are about to enter the promised land, and Moses declares this to them. He says, For you are a people set apart wholly to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And then he gives them a little dose of reality. It's not because you are more in number than the others. Not because you were the prettiest, not because you were the richest, not because you were the, that's the point that he's getting at. It's not because you were more in number than the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you were truly the fewest of all peoples. Verse eight says this, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping his promise and oath that he swore to your father that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Moses is telling him, he, this is his pep talk in the locker room with the team before they get into the promised land. And he says, listen, I want you to know God loves you, and it's not because you're all that awesome. <laughs> but it's because he chose you, and he's a promise-keeping God who will never fail. So you better sink that deep into your mind and anchor yourself to that. Because he set you free from the house of slavery to bring you into the promised land. But it's not going to come without struggle. God desires 
relationship with his chosen people, with the Israelites. And then the third place that I see that he desires and designed us truly for relationship with him is in John chapter 3, verse 16. When he decided to adopt, and this isn't the moment that he decided, I can clearly show you all the way from the beginning of our time in, in biblical record, that his plan has always been for the whoever to be adopted. John chapter 3 verse 16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever... It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter your current situation. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. When the apostle Peter wrote a letter, he wrote a letter to a mixed group of believers. These were, some were Jews, some were Gentiles. There were people in the, the mix in between he says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Listen to me. He's not just saying this to Jewish by blood individuals. He's writing this to a mixed group that now include others, the whoever's. But you are a chosen race and a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellency of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Well, by God, that sounds just like what Moses was telling the people. He set you free from the house of slavery because he wants you to be his own. And now Peter is delivering this news to people who didn't have that DNA in them. And he says the same thing is true of you. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, he's called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You and I are the whoever. Your mean boss is the whoever. That person, that neighbor, that person that you have an issue with, that you're in conflict with, that person is a whoever he designed you for and desires to have relationship with every human that he's created. Here's truth number two. Each truth won't take me that long. Truth number two. God designed males and females for relationship with each other. This is a complicated idea. <laughs> if you're married in the room, you can say amen. Okay, This is a complicated idea, but it's wonderful and beautiful. The idea of a two-sexed creation was God's idea. The whole human race is and always has been comprised of two different complementary genders. This ordering of humanity is not by accident. It wasn't by a whim or by capriciousness. It is by God's grand design. And those who attempt to usurp his authority are doing so to their detriment. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Maybe you have. He could have created Adam and made him self-sufficient. He could have created an Eve 
without an Adam and created and made her self-sufficient. In fact, he could have given Adam a group of buddies that would help him. He could have given Adam the knowledge or just poof and put a plow on the earth with Adam so that Adam would have the help that he needed to tend the garden. But God decided instead of those things to make something that was opposite but complementary to be able to live a life together for companionship and love. This is amazing when you think about it. Men and women are not interchangeable. The man and the woman in marriage especially, but in the rest of life as well, complement each other. Meaning they're supposed to, they're supposed to function in what could be called a divinely designed fittedness. Even biologically, men and women are designed to fit together. Have you ever stopped to think about the complementary nature of God's creation? Go back to Genesis and read the story of creation today, sometime this week. Think about it. Heaven and earth. That's a couple. That's two. <laughs> Are you with me? I'm, this isn't a far reach because I'm going to give you five other examples. Sun and moon. They complement one another. They can't do either of the other's jobs. They've got to work together. They complement. Do you see where I'm getting? Plants and animals. If we had plants but no animals, we'd all be vegan and that'd be really terrible. <laughs> Coming from a carnivore like myself. If all we had was animals, what would they eat? Aren't you glad that you're not the creator of the universe? That you didn't have to think of these things? I don't know about you, but I like grass-fed beef and free-range chicken and all the other things. I'm getting hand claps talking about lunch right now. Sun and moon, day and night, plants and animals, morning and evening, sea and dry land. They're opposites, but they're a couple. They work together. They're not interchangeable. A shark can't live on land for very long. Yes, sure, you can talk about some anomalies and all the things, but generally speaking, 99.9% .9 of everything that God made he made in a pair, in a couple, some, some, some way for them to complement and work together, each part belonging to the other, but neither of them are interchangeable. Listen to what Paul says to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter five. He says this, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You have to understand that when God created male and female, he created them with the idea that they would be together. 
If we're created in his image, we are to understand that we as the church have now become the body and the bride of Christ. And that one day there will be a uniting of the two. In fact, in the ultimate culmination of human history that you can find in the last three chapters of the Bible, in the book of Revelation. You can see in Revelation chapter 19, and listen to me. I was reminded this week, Revelation chapter 19, like don't go there because I'm not going to read anything from it today, but you can read it this week. I was reminded this week because you've heard jokes about what's going to be available at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Any of you old school people here, to, like you said, you taste something at Thanksgiving and you're like, ooh, the Lord's going to serve this in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I've heard those jokes. You should really read Revelation chapter 19. It is not what you think. <laughs> Grandma's bread pudding might not be there, okay? It's a, it's a scary, apocalyptic, strange sort of set of scenario. But suffice it to say, listen to me. After the marriage supper of the Lamb, there will be a joining together of heaven and earth. God is all about reconciliation. He's putting back what has been ruined in a better shape, in a better way than Humpty Dumpty, than any, any way we could ever try to super glue the broken handle of a tea, teapot or a, a teacup back to its original body. You'll always see the scars and the damage. God has been desiring from our ruination, our self-brought ruination. He has been desiring to bring us back together to him. So from start to finish, the storyline of the Bible depends on the distinction between male and female as different, but fitted for one another. Truth number three is this. God designed marriage to produce something. And no, it's not stress. Are you still awake? You're with me, right? Okay, I worked really hard on that joke, okay? God designed marriage to produce something. And if I gave you a mic, I guess I could hear a bunch of different answers today from the audience of what you think it's meant to produce. But it's not stress, it's strength. And it's children and family in the image of God because he wants us to be in his family. God designed heterosexual marriage to produce children and create families. We've talked at length over the last two weeks before this message about children and how precious they are in the sight of God and how they should be precious in our sight too. Amen? Scripture is clear that God instituted the family unit. It's not by accident. I, I don't want to get graphic. I just want you to understand. Adam and Eve didn't just come upon this idea themselves. God told them to go be fruitful and to multiply. This is amazing when you think that God is the one who ordained marriage. And he is the one who ordained family. And he wants families that create to stay together. Amen? A man and a woman living in a committed covenant relationship can reproduce and multiply. This is the only God-approved way to build a family. 
We've talked recently, and I've heard great stories, testimonies, in fact, of how God used some of the things that we've talked about over the last few weeks. God used in couples' lives here in this very church for them to be able to reproduce. There were struggles and there were trials, but they pursued God and medicine, modern medicine, to help them obey scripture and to have children, to produce a family. And that's a good thing within the confines of a committed marriage. The Bible says, be fruitful and multiply. Here are a few more related truths to help you build your worldview and strengthen it. Truth number four. Sex outside of marriage, whether that's before or during, is prohibited by God. You say, Pastor, this is like stuff I already know. It's stuff that still needs to be reminded to the church. (laughs) Paul writes a letter. Y'all, have you read the Bible lately? (laughs) Paul writes a letter to an established church and says, hey... (laughs) I just got to draw your attention. Word got back to me. Some dude is now in a relationship with his stepmom. What's going on? There's crazy stuff that happened then, and there's crazy stuff happening now, and it still needs to be talked about. The the Bible, shoot, (laughs) help me, Lord. The culture may call it hooking up or something soft like that, but the true reality is it's a fornication. It's adultery. It's things outside. Listen, God calls them both sin. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14 says this, you shall not commit adultery. I have this sneaky suspicion that because we were created in God's image, That he actually wants us to do the things he does, like keep our promise. So he tells us, I'm going to give you these 10 things that you should definitely make sure you do. And pretty much all of them involve us being in the image of God and trying to mirror his image on the earth, including this one. Do not commit adultery. Can I tell you something? The people of God have committed adultery in the, in the prophets. You could read about it when they chased uh, other gods. They went after other gods and God got royally, royally angry at them for doing so and said so much. But he never stepped out on us. Thank you, Jesus, that he keeps his promise. First Thessalonians chapter four. Paul writes to the Thessalonians and he says this, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. I want you to understand about verse 4 when that word, or verse 3 rather, when it says the term sexual immorality, it's from the Greek word porneia. That word can be better understood in our English language using these two different things, fornication and prostitution. So pastor, what are you talking about in church? Why are you talking about this in church? 
Because our modern word pornography is anchored in that same Greek word. Sexual immorality is not okay in the eyes of God. Why? Because it's a violation of his creation. Truth number five, we are to flee sexual immorality. First Corinthians chapter six tells us some interesting details. It says this in first Corinthians six chapter, uh, chapter six, verse nine, it says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Look at me church and listen to me. There are some idiots under the gospel's banner who are pastoring churches in this nation that have put rainbow flags on their signs talking about God's pronouns are they and them. They will be under the judgment of God and not inherit the kingdom of God because they are living unrighteous. So don't be deceived. Are you with me? Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunk, or the reviler, or the swindler. None of these people are going to inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11 says something profound. And such were some of you. If I could use this Christian terminology, in your BC life, some of you were like that. Before Christ, some of you were this. You were swindlers, revilers, drunks, homosexuals. You were these things, but now you are to flee that stuff because, look, it says this, you were washed. Come on, this is good. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You need to read the Bible. You need to study the Bible. The Greek terms that are used by Paul in the passage include these English words I'll give you. Fornicators, adulterers. The Bible says the effeminate people engaged in same-gender sexual activity, and those who commit sodomy as well as pederasts. Every one of those words in our English language shows up in the phraseology of the original language here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul says some of you used to be those things, but by God's power you are no longer that. You know what that tells me? There's hope. In salvation in the cross of Jesus. That no matter what your sin was, God can wash it clean. Amen? This is hope. Redemption is possible. God's forgiveness is available to anyone who asks and repents. So Paul is reminding them. He's telling them. Flee from that stuff. You are to live according now to God's will and not your own. 
I promise you this world would be different if 100% of the church of Jesus Christ lived according to God's will and not their own. I can tell you there wouldn't be another church split. There wouldn't be people who gossiped. (laughs) There wouldn't be issues like that. And you know what else would be pretty awesome? We would be living according to Jesus' words and fulfilling it when he said that the world will know you by your love for one another. And they'll be like, wow, what is that? I need that. Look at verse 18 of chapter 6. It says, so flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. You are not your own. You are not your own. Verse 20 says, You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Say, well, pastor, how does this apply to the world around me? It applies to you having a biblical worldview and understanding how you're to raise your children and your grandchildren in a sin-sick world so that they can be the light that brings life to the world. So glorify God in your body. Temptation becomes sin when we act on it. Being tempted is not a sin. There are people within the body of Christ that deal with temptation on an ongoing basis. Having a tempting thought is not sin. Dwelling on that thought and acting on that thought then commits sin. Acting on the temptation is sin. We need to understand this because there are those who are hurting that want the hope of the gospel But if they struggle with something like same-sex attraction or any sort of temptation from their past life, they may be totally excommunicated from the church instead of helped to a place of healing and health. Amen? We've got a job to do. We've got a job to do. And it probably doesn't even start with your neighbor who's mean to you. It probably starts in the house of God with us helping the hurting. The kingdom of God is advancing by force. I want to be part of the kingdom of God that lives in victory. Amen. Last of all, I want to cover another hot topic because we've been talking about human relationships. This is really important to talk about. And it is the topic of divorce. I want to give you a biblical worldview about divorce so that you understand. I understand there are individuals in our church body who have been divorced. This is not me giving you an ounce of guilt or condemnation. I want you to see what God's word says about something like this. So that you can know 
better for your future and so that you can move and grow into the person God is calling you to be. And it's a protection for your children and grandchildren that they would hear and know and understand what God's desire for marriage is. Truth number seven is that God intended marriage. No, go back. Truth number six, God intended marriage to be a permanent union. The man is supposed to depart from his parents' home in order to be united to his wife and become one flesh with her, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Both Jesus and Paul quoted this passage from Genesis as the foundational premise for marriage. Translating Jesus' quotation, Matthew used a Greek word which actually means to be permanently glued together. Some of you just want some space. <laughs> Get off me. Never mind. That's an inside joke. It's all right. We won't even go there. I don't have time. It's fine. <laughs> Permanently glued together. Jesus added this. Therefore, what God has joined together, you could all say it because you've been to a wedding. Let no man separate or let no one break apart. The prevailing winds of culture have sought to destroy the institution of marriage. I got to stop here and tell you, the world was wrong years ago when they thought we were just anti-gay because we said, no, we really don't think y'all should have the right to marry. Well, we think it's just our right. No, that's, that's not it. There has been an undermining of an institution that God designed. The prevailing winds of culture have sought to destroy the institution of marriage. And there have been many lies that have been spoken to our parents, to ourselves, and now they're being fed to our children and our grandchildren. Here are just a few of those lies. Falling in love, the concept of falling in love is absolute garbage. It's a lie. So, Pastor, that hurts. I fell in love 62 years ago, and Pastor, it's just wonderful. Or 52 or whatever it is. You, if you can fall into something, you can climb out of it. I hate to use just simple logic, Okay, but if, if, if I could fall into it, I can find my way out whenever I want to. Love is not about falling into something. It's about choosing someone. With all their warts, with their farts, with their burps. Thank you, honey, like for loving me despite those things. It's about choosing for better or worse. Amen? He's... <laughs> Pastor, this is a wild message. Homosexuality, farting. We've been talking about all these things in the same message. It's a lie from the enemy that came into our culture years ago. But the truth of, the, of life is that you don't fall in love. You choose someone to love for a lifetime. I know. I understand. It's supposed to be romantic. I fell in love with you. 
But just think about it. That is translating something to the children and grandchildren of this generation right now. So my wife and I, we don't use that term. We don't say we fell in love. We also have made a covenant that we're not going to discuss divorce. And we'll talk about that in a second. Although there have been times where I'm sure she's been tempted. Here's another lie that the culture around us tells people. God wants you to be happy. No, he doesn't. He wants you to be holy. I know this is hard. I know it sounds crazy, but God is, if you've read a single page of the Bible, you understand God's primary concern is not your happiness. I'm going to drop this mic and walk out this building today. Right here, right now. He's not concerned about your happiness. He's concerned about your salvation and your holiness. Happiness is a byproduct of a healthy marriage, but it sure is not the sole purpose. It's getting quiet. I know it's getting lunchtime. I got a couple more things God put on my heart to tell you. I'm telling you, I challenge you. You say, Pastor, you're just like getting preachy, you know, today. No, I challenge you. Find me one place in scripture that says that God's desire is for me to be happy. Because I can't find it in in Joseph's life, in David, in Esther, in Job, in Habakkuk, in Matthew, in John. I, I can't find it in any of their lives but I know he wants me to be holy. And marriage helps (laughs) more than maybe you want it to. Here's another lie. My spouse and I are just incompatible. Of course you are. (laughs) God's design from the beginning was to put a flawed male and a flawed female together so that they could live in a mess for the rest of their life. You say, Pastor, that sounds terrible. Marriage required... (laughs) Don't amen me. You're going to be sleeping on the couch tonight, my friend. Marriage requires sacrifice and effort. The journey can be messy at times. Don't ask my wife about how messy it can be. But the journey can be messy at times. It can also be beautiful when you put the work in. Amen? The world also wants to tell us this other lie, that divorce is no big deal. The truth of it is, is yes, it is. It always wounds and scars. Many of the consequences of divorce never truly go away. Divorce is a big deal for all parties involved, for the children, the grandchildren, the the new spouses, their families, not just for the adults who separate. So don't believe the lie that it's just no big deal. It really is a big deal. And I think God was looking out for us when he said, don't do this. It's not good. It's not going to help you. Here's another lie. There's no hope for our marriage. It can't be fixed. Pastor, we tried counseling. I bought the five love languages book. We went to a conference. I'm telling you, we're beyond hope. No, you're not. If you believe in a God who created the universe and designed you on purpose, there's always hope. 
It doesn't matter how down in the rut you find yourself. The Bible says this, with man, there are things that cannot be done, but with God, all things are possible. Amen? Amen. Here's what Jesus said about divorce. Matthew chapter 19. The Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any reason? He answered them, have you not read? I I love Jesus and how he corresponds with these individuals, how he converses with them. Have you not read the Bible? (laughs) Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Verse 5, and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 6, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Verse 7, they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? So they're, they're, they're stepping to Jesus, trying to really put him to task. And they're saying, well, then why did, why did Moses say that you could get a, a certificate of divorce? They use this term, command, there. But notice, divorce was allowed, but it was never commanded. Verse 8, he said to them, it's because of the hardness or the sin sickness of your hearts that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. God's original design and intent for humanity was marriage and fidelity together. Verse 9 says this, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So, you say, Pastor, you really laid it out today, but I've gone through a divorce. I've experienced a divorce. I am the child who is enduring a divorce. I want you to understand this. God hates divorce, but he does not hate the divorced. Why does he hate divorce? He hates it because it's breaking apart an institution that he designed. I'd get mad if I built a brand new rocking chair. I'm not really all that great at woodworking, especially the curved wood stuff. But if I built a rocking chair and you just came in the room and plopped down in it full force and broke it to pieces, I'd be upset because I built it. I put it together. God doesn't like divorce. He hates divorce because it divides and destroys marriages and families. We are not here to guilt you or to heap condemnation on you if you've experienced a divorce. In fact, I believe, and I've said it already, the church of Jesus Christ is meant to be a place of help and healing for those who are hurting. So we've got to minister to the needs of those families, even that have been broken by divorce. The family of God is to demonstrate God's love and his grace to those who've experienced this. 
God's hatred for divorce should never be seen as hatred for those who have been divorced. You are not second-class saints. You're not second-class citizens. I praise God that there are men and women who are pursuing their life and journey of faith regardless of their past experiences. That's a powerful thing. And you say, well, pastor, you hadn't really dived too deep into that. I can't. But I can tell you this, we understand that there are people stuck. You you might have just heard me tell Jesus's uh, statement to the Pharisees and say, well, that's not exactly what happened in my marriage, marital situation and that kind of thing. Listen, there are people stuck in extremely difficult marital situations and circumstances that are not expressed in scripture. They're not addressed. The Bible doesn't really cover physical, verbal, emotional abuse. Doesn't really talk about being married to a drunk or somebody who's abusing substances. It doesn't talk about what to do in those situations and those times. It doesn't talk about those who are enduring emotional, verbal abuse and stuff. Believers that are stuck in these circumstances are encouraged to seek godly wisdom and counsel to do everything that they can, but to carefully apply the principles in scripture relating to marriage to their situation. And they are to pray without ceasing. The Bible tells that to believers. We are to pray without stopping. And then you can come to a decision that's consistent with scripture and your own conscience. I I don't see a mandate for every single scenario in scripture. So we're left to make decisions on our own with our own free will. And as you do that, it's important that you understand the general underlying principle that God has always wanted relationship with you. He's always wanted men and women, one of each to marry and to stay together forever on this world. And for there to be children raised in that godly environment. That's why. That's why we talk about these things. And what I would say is this. And Miss Erin, if you could come join me, we're going to close. If you've dealt with any of these things that we talked about today, I don't care. If the word swindler jumped out at you and you said, yep, I used to be crooked. Pastor, I used to be crooked and I still deal with the temptation. Whatever it is, if there is repentance, there is forgiveness. That's awesome when you recognize that under the banner of the cross, because of the cross, because of Jesus' blood on the cross, and because of an empty tomb, because of the hope that I could be adopted as a whoever, that when I repent, the Bible says there is forgiveness. That's amazing. Jesus Christ is still the only cure for the sin sickness of the human heart. And I believe with all of my heart that he can turn your past into a testimony. I believe he can turn your present into a testimony. Amen?
the present circumstances you're facing, he can turn them into a a testimony. He can help each of us to live on the straight and narrow way that leads to life. In fact, he's given us the Holy Spirit who wants to be your guide in this life, in your journey of holiness. Stand with me today. We as believers are not perfect. Your pastor is not preaching this message today because he's perfect and has it all figured out. He's preached this message today by God's design, I believe. So that we would have an anchor point to then build out from in our biblical worldview. And God desires our holiness. Here's what I would tell you. There are many more things that could be said. But if you've been divorced, get on the straight and narrow way that leads to life and pursue holiness. Don't you go out. Listen, I'm not saying don't date. Hear me well when I say this. Do not give in to temptation and forsake the holiness that God calls you to. Do it right. Dating's fine. Moving on is fine. Do it God's way. That's best. Amen? Somebody shout amen. Amen. God's grace is available. And it won't run out. His everlasting love is given to you not based on what you've done or not done. It's based on the fact that he created you and he loves you. He loves you for you, not for the things you've done for him or for the, because of the, or changes his love for you because of the things you haven't. I want you to close your eyes with me today. I believe in the church of Jesus Christ, there is an opportunity for us to still reach and help heal those who are brokenhearted, who are in families that are split who are experiencing some of these things that we've talked about today. I believe with all of my heart that God wants to continue a work inside of us to heal and bring to health. Not just that we would know what to say when asked what we believe, but that God would help heal hurting hearts.